Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCEV1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam family, thanks for tuning in. Uh, don't get used to this wonderful background music. This is our special Friday music. Uh, but anyway, uh, you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And you can also subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. So if that's iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, or SoundCloud, you'll find us at that same username at Radio Islam USA. Now, for those of you who are, you know, maybe social media shy, you don't want to DM, you don't want to post on our Facebook page or, or hit us on Twitter, you can give us a call. That's right, our old-fashioned phone call, right? Because we have a phone right here, and you can reach us at 312-750-1178. I'll say it again for you, 312-750-1178. All right, family, happy Friday, right? Juan Mubarak. It's a blessed day. Uh, for those of you who are on the Monday to Friday stretch and you're looking at the weekend, hope that you have some... Hope you have some relaxation in store, right? And that you're not running seven days a week like the crazy people that I hang around with. Um, but anyway, uh, tonight we are fortunate to have, uh, I love when we have in-studio artists and authors, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they just bring, bring so much, uh, so much to the show. So tonight we have Hensala. She is a New York-born, horror-loving, mental health counseling, loud-mouth mass of contradictions. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, she has a cornucopia of sensibly insensible, controversial opinions and is allergic to romance. That's right. So if you're looking for something soft and, and cuddly and warm, not tonight. <laughs> not tonight. <laughs> she loves putting a dark twist on a good argument. Bad things are funny. Good things are boring. She sees the world as a dark place, disguised with an artificial candy coating, drugged up with happy pills. Hmm, this is rough. There's more, there's more. Once upon a midnight dreary, she was a journalist. Go figure, right? She has written for several news outlets and still runs her own website. Insert professional website title here.com. That is the most original website title I have heard all <laughs> year, maybe, maybe ever. I'm going to say it again for you. Insert professional website title here.com. Uh, there she shares some of her professional work, somewhat twisted thoughts, and dark humor. Uh, Hen is currently a counselor. Oh, man, we got to talk about this. <laughs> she is currently a counselor at Franklin Academy and spend, spends her days working with kids and writing under cover of darkness. And I must also add, she is the author of Dig Two Graves, right? This is a horror horror book. This is not a self-help manual. Dig two graves. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> you know, that might be the most entertaining um, bio introduction that we've had. Would, would you agree, Ibrahim? I think so. <laughs> so, uh, 
New York born. New yes. York born. Yes. Uh, how, how are you enjoying the enjoying the show? Um, well, I've been to Chicago before. My brother lives here. He um, works at Mount Sinai. Okay. So, yeah, it's maybe three or four times I've been here. Okay. All right. All right, you've been here, but how are you enjoying it? How you, how you I'm like enjoying it? it. I love it. The okay. traffic's a little rough, but I love the city. <laughs> uh, well, you know, hey, you, know you, you give something, you get, you know. Well, we have alleys here. That, that is a plus for us, right? Y- y'all don't Do have alleys in New York. <laughs> I don't <laughs> See, know what that is. That's right. They, they, their garbage is out on the sidewalk. <laughs> we get to put our garbage in the back back of the house. Um, anyway, that's my only my only shot I'm going to take. I love New York. Got a lot of New York people. So anyway, um, so before we get into uh, to, into the book, we'd like to talk a little bit about about you and how you came into this genre of horror. Because I don't know. First of all, I don't know many. I don't know many um, many Muslims that are in. Uh, let alone Muslims that are in that are writing in this in this genre. Uh, are you are you in, in, in short supply of company? <laughs> We're all in short supply of company. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that means you're a trailblazer. That means you're a trailblazer. I mean, all of us have different things that we're a part of. Yeah. Um, none of us are the same. And yeah, the genre is a little bit, I'll use the word weird, for somebody um, who is a Muslim, who is a mental health counselor. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it, it's really about, it's not even about things that you're passionate about. It's just about things that you personally find entertaining or things that um, you would enjoy watching and reading. And that's what they say that writers and artists pull from what they already know. Right. Not to say that I have any monsters in my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I favor kind of putting spins on also social commentary, which is a lot of what happens in the book and maybe undercover of, you know, horror and a novel or even, you know, just kind of a lot of common themes that you'll read and watch in movies. But right. a big piece of it is social commentary well I'll say this I appreciate I appreciate because um, I'm, I'm not one who I'm not a conformist necessarily um, so I like the idea of getting fresh takes on things and I like the idea of seeing people that we would not normally associate uh, with, the, with the genre right uh, seeing them in there right I think that's refreshing I think it's needed uh, it allows us to to gain a uh, maybe to to take some of the, the the mental cobwebs off, and you know we get stuck into what we think is supposed to be. And I mean, it's really important for us, especially as Muslims, to exist in every possible genre and every possible job. Because I mean, when there's a lack of any of us in any specific job or genre or whatever you want to use, mm-hmm. it. That means there's a whole population of people who don't know anything about the religion. They don't know anything about Muslims. And then all they get to know about us is what they see on TV. So I think it's kind of an obligation on all of us to find a road less traveled. And it it doesn't have to be extreme to horror genres or anything like that, but be original. And it's we have to remember as as an ummah that it is okay for people to be original. It is okay for us to not be the same, and is it okay? It is okay for us to create things that usually we don't have in our countries or in our, 
you know, customs. Mm. So I think that's what's most important about it is to see us everywhere that you can possibly look. Yeah, yeah. So give us give us a, a synopsis, an idea, an overview of the book. Uh, folks who may who may just now be hearing about Dig Two Graves, um, and I'm pretty sure that we got some horror some horror fans um, out there. So what what's what's the overview? What's what's the plot? So the plot is so there's a woman. She is a court appointed psychologist. She does um, evaluations for the court. Um, and that's really a cover on the business that she actually makes money off of, and she's in human trafficking. Oh. <laughs> um, specifically female human trafficking. Oh. <laughs> Goodness. <Okay. laughs> so the spin that she puts on it herself, because, I mean, human trafficking is not that uncommon, but no. the... The spin that she puts on it for herself is that she only will, quote, kidnap somebody who she feels is immoral and hasn't been punished for something that they've done. Okay, so I've read the first, like, 13 pages, and I think I already know who's getting who's getting trafficked. <laughs> I already know. I already know. Okay. You can feel it from her attitude, Yeah, right? I can feel it. I Get it from her it. attitude. Yeah, yeah. She brought it on herself. Absolutely no, brought it on. I, I, I shouldn't say that, right? Because no one should be trafficked. Let's just, right? Right? Okay. I don't want to get any nasty grams from anybody. No. Okay. So It's never okay no. to kidnap someone. I mean, trafficking is wrong. We're talking about a, a book, though. This is a work of fiction. It is fiction. Yes. Yes. Um, so that's kind of the way that she justifies it to herself, where she doesn't want to, f- nobody wants to feel like they're evil. Nobody wants to feel like they're horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her, it's, the, they're going. This kind of empire is going to kidnap women anyway. They're going to do it anyway. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to quote save the people who are innocent and don't deserve to get hurt. Replace them with people who should have been punished for things that they've done and haven't been. So you can look at it as a, it as a sort of twisted vigilanteism, I guess. Okay. Um, and another twist that's on it is that she was kidnapped herself and she got out. Makes total sense. The first opening whole thing, uh, it's a scene you, you write, makes total sense now. I thought something <laughs> must have happened. Okay. So she was um, a victim of it herself. She got out. I won't divulge how she got out, but yeah. um, and it kind of speaks to, I mean, how we're affected by the experiences that we go through. Because you have to question, would this person have gotten into something this awful if they hadn't experienced it themselves? And there's no excuse. And it's not saying that just because you went through something bad, it's okay to do something bad. But, I mean, you do have to think about how trauma does change us. And I think this is also a very uh, interesting point to bring up, especially as a mental health professional. Trauma that is not resolved, that's not confronted, um, it is going to result in unhealthy action, right? So is that also a part of the, I guess, is that a part of the, the commentary? Maybe not uh, not, not uh, stated, but just just something that you can, you can see. Yeah, and it's, I mean, when you look at her actions, because she has a lot of unresolved trauma from childhood also. Right. She came from a home with domestic violence. Father took off when she was pretty young. Um, so it does speak to how things that we go through when we're younger and even when we're teenagers or even as we're a little bit older, they change who we are. And I think that a big problem that we have in our society is that we 
and I'm not saying to okay it, but at the same time to kind of understand each other and understand where, maybe not to the extreme point of someone who's human trafficking, but people screw up and they do things that they shouldn't do. But we, and I mean, this is in the religion, give your Muslim brother 70 excuses because you don't know them. You don't know what they're going through and you don't know what they're thinking. So a big part of the commentary that I'm making is on how we view people who do awful things. And that's not to say that it's okay for them to do those awful things, but we have to have an understanding because if you don't have any understanding, how are you going to grow? I'm going to throw this piece in there. I just saw a movie called um, uh, Roman J. Israel. Uh, Denzel Washington plays this attorney who is like on the, just like on the verge of being. He seems like he could be autistic, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, the whole point he 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 made he uh, made a statement and kind of dealt with this whole plea deal thing with somebody and he says, none of us says we are all better than the worst thing we have done, mm-hmm. right? And don't know if that really fits here or not, but. Um, that just makes me think about, you know, it's it's difficult sometimes for us to separate uh, a low point from as as an action as opposed to being the person as as you know as letting that represent who the individual is. So, and that's true, and I think that we ourselves are our worst critic, um, and we look at ourselves and we think the worst of ourselves often, and I think that, and of course, that doesn't go back to things that are as serious as human trafficking or murder or anything horrible like that. But when we make mistakes, we are likely the only people who remember them. Mm. I mean, if you think about things that you did when you were in middle school, something really stupid or embarrassing that you said, you are the only person who remembers that. It is very unlikely that the entire population of people who are present for this mistake remember that mistake, but you will continue to think about it because you have not resolved that what happened everyone remembers mine <laughs> it's okay I might be the exception mine was just it was a very public uh, public thing but anyway um, um, so let's talk a bit um, horror is always associated with um, as, as a genre whether we're talking about um, uh, literature or, or film with gore right to some degree uh, and, it's, and definitely a certain amount of suspense uh, are those things that um are those things that you take a lot of time in crafting and weaving into your um, uh, into into the book? So it's not something that I stop and think I have to add gore into okay. it. Like I don't stop and think, hey, Dash there's not enough blood in this book. Maybe I should. No, it's it's more like it kind of just comes with the territory at some point is that when you're talking about people who are kidnapped or people who are being murdered or if you want to set the scene, if you want to paint that picture so the person reading it can actually see it, there's going to be a lot of description of gore and that's not something you can really get around. Um, And especially it's difficult with books because when it comes to movies, you're watching the movie, you're seeing it. But when you're writing, it it takes a, a lot for you to have the person who's reading be able to see what you're trying to get them to see. And often those descriptions are kind of horrible and they're kind of hard to read. But again, it goes back to, do you want this person to live inside the story that you're writing? Or is this just a passing thing that they're going to finish and put down and never think about again? Right. It's not something, in my opinion, right? As a reader, um, you can tell if an author is going into it halfway, 
right? And they're not really committed to, you know, write the whole thing out, paint the picture. Uh, you, as a reader, I, I would feel cheated, and I didn't feel treated, feel cheated. In your your opening, you go directly to this point. Uh, just the description. It's not so much even about the gore. It is the suspense. Um, suspense is uh, as as I don't know if this is giving away anything, but in, in a it, well, I'm not even gonna say what it is, but uh, some physical harm about to take place, and uh, and the character endures it, you know, and you think like, okay, the guy that's the, the, that's doing this to her is going to be angry because she's not really giving what what he wants. He wants fear, right? He wants to see that, he wants to see pain. He doesn't get that, and you just and as a reader, you sort of feel like. Oh man, it's going to be even worse. Why don't you, you know, give him something? You know, <laughs> flinch, do yeah. something. Yeah, but I think that, um, yeah, you, you want to see people go all the way, and it's not, it's not a matter of being. I think it's probably more so. We associate the gratuitous use of of, of gore um, and violence with film, you know, as a way to kind of just shock the senses, um, with. Uh, in, in a book, and I guess you could go the same way, but I just don't view it necessarily the same way. Uh, so you don't have a, a weak stomach? No, I do not. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, all right. When it comes to food, I kind of have a weak stomach, oh, really? but in general, no, not really. Yeah. Okay, all right. Let's, I, I want to just kind of take a little detour for a second to talk about, because um, we're talking, you know, off the air a little, a little bit about your journey into uh, you know, as a mental health professional now and, and, and writer and, uh, you know, you've been a journalist. Let's talk a bit about how, what, t- tell the Radio Sun family your, your path. I think that's, it's really wonderful. So I've been an avid reader and writer since I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, I've been reading big books since, I mean, the punishments I used to get from my parents was they would take my books away. Oh. <laughs> um, it was... Wow cruel and unusual punishment mom you're listening to this i want you to know that <laughs> um, so it started out i come from an egyptian background generally you're either a doctor or a lawyer or a pharmacist mm-hmm. maybe an engineer depending on how we feel about you on this certain day mm-hmm. um so i went to medical school uh, i started out at temple as a bio major went to medical school um one semester and i dropped out and i was like i can't do this I dropped out initially to go to law school. Oh, okay. I took the LSAT, um, did pretty well on the test, and then changed my mind and went back to Temple, got my bachelor's in journalism. Mm -hmm. And then when I graduated, I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer, so it was like, okay, so I want to be a creative writer, but this is writing, so maybe this can be the gateway. Because when you become a journalist and you have a following – when you publish a book, it's going to be easier to have people read it right. than any other. Yeah. So I came out. I got a job at a television station in the United Nations building, um, El Arabiya. Okay. Interestingly enough, my Arabic is, is pretty good, but my formal Arabic is not great. Okay. <laughs> it's really not great. Um, stayed there for two or three months, and... I got accepted into NYU's applied psychology program for my master's. So I kind of went right into that. Um, and I was writing the book as I was doing my master's. I hadn't dropped the ball on it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so when when did you start writing the book? So the idea from the book came... I didn't. So when I first got the idea, I didn't start writing it right away mm-hmm. because I 
I don't know. I just didn't immediately start. I got the idea for the book when I was starting my first semester of medical school. Okay. I didn't start writing it until I graduated with my bachelor's in journalism. Um, and I guess you can say that even it even applied to me where all of my experiences, the good and the bad, kind of led me down the path of writing something like this. Um, so it took me, I want to say, two years to finish it up, year and a half, something like that. Um, yeah, and then I graduated with my master's from NYU, uh, got a job at Franklin Academy, mm-hmm. which is a school for kids who are on the autism spectrum. Okay. And I am a mental health counselor there. Very awesome. Very awesome. Um, Ended up in the medical field. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it was a nice, it's a nice route um, that, that you took to get there. I have tried it all. <laughs> now, did you, do you feel like your, um, I definitely could see how the journalism uh, would, would impact this. But the time that you spent that semester in medical school, did that also, um, but you say you also bio uh, major, right? So has that, has that knowledge, you know, we talk about, you know, human anatomy and all of that. Has that um, found its way into your so, writing? I mean, I guess you can say that. But medical school was kind of something that I did because I was supposed to. It wasn't really I said, I want to be a doctor. This is what I want to do. And I went to medical school. It was just kind of a preordained kind of position. path. Yeah. So I went for the semester, and all it did was... Mm, remind me why I don't like medicine. (laughs) And so really it didn't, the semester in medical school didn't really have very much to do with my writing career. But while I was there, I did a lot of writing. because It just reinforced the idea that this really is not where I want to be. No, I'm going to, and I was thinking, I'm going to finish medical school and not be a doctor and just write books. So it didn't make any sense whatsoever. And I ended up leaving. (laughs) All right. Well, you saved yourself some time. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, so you, you grew up as an avid reader. Who are some of your favorite authors? I think it will come as no surprise to everyone that Agatha Christie is my favorite writer. Okay. <laughs> um, very big Agatha Christie fan. Um, I also, I like Stephen King, um, but it's not all horror. You yeah. know, um, one of also my favorite books are is The Count of Monte Cristo. I love it. Really? Um, it's an interesting book. Um, and then, of course, I am a huge Harry Potter fan. So I am a Potterhead. Um, so, yeah, and it's interesting. It, it's not even about J.K. Rowling. I'm not that big of a J.K. Rowling fan. It's just the story when you're a kid, because it came out in 91, and I was born in 91. So I kind of grew up with these books. <laughs> So my mom would take us the night before the new book came out. So it was like a big part of my childhood. Mm. Okay. And has any of that <clears throat> has any of that influenced your own writing? Um, Agatha Christie definitely, I would say, influenced my writing a lot. Um, the Count of Monte Cristo had an influence on me because of the web. It was it spun a web, and it was just it wasn't this straightforward this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. But things came about and they were linked to each other and you didn't really figure out how they were linked until the end. And that was something that had a really big effect on me. 
Now, was that is that something that it took you a while to figure out as a um, just, just as a writing method, um, or did do you feel like it just came to you naturally because you you, you appreciated you saw it in, in action and you just composed a story in, in that kind of a way? So, what I believe firmly believe about reading is that it affects you more than anything else. <clears throat> Every book that you read will never stop affecting you. So I've read so much and I read that book so many times that it's just kind of in the back of your mind. It's kind of just there. So when you are writing, you can't help but get kind of a lot from it and you even not intending to, which is why it's important to really be careful because a lot of previous works can come into your writing and then it seems kind of like a copycat. So that's kind of like a really big thing is that books will always influence us and they will never disappear and I think it's actually harder for somebody who's an avid re- avid reader to become a writer it's much more difficult because you you end up especially for read the same author um, you, you end up writing in that same style your descriptions can can kind of follow the same pattern uh, yeah I, I can definitely I can never see that and um, that's what it I mean they also say there's a very popular saying that it is much harder for writers to write than other people. Mm. Is that because of the... Well, you tell me why. So the reason it's harder I, for writers to write... I'm working on the book right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I need to hear this. So it's harder, to write, it's harder for writers to write than other people because for several reasons. One, somebody who identifies as a writer is so critical of themselves that nothing is ever good enough. You will continue to delete... And you will continue to write and delete and write and delete until you make yourself crazy. And then what you think isn't good, other people think is actually good, but you see it through, this isn't awesome, this isn't great, this is horrible, I cannot publish this. And it's really interesting because I am 100% sure that a lot of people who consider themselves writers have written gold and have not published it. Mm. So, and because... Writers themselves are very big, like, harsh critics. I'm a very harsh critic on literature and books and other things like that. So you think about it. Okay, I'm going to publish this. I'm going to get criticized. Am I ready to take it? And does this book deserve the, deserve the criticism I know it's going to get? Okay. Um, I, I'm going I'm to agree with that uh, 100%. And I'll ask you this. Uh, are you on Facebook? Yes. How long does it take you to compose a Facebook post? Oh, my God. Delete, write, delete, write, post, edit. No, the period was in the wrong place. So I'll say like 45 minutes to write like a two-sentence post. It's it's embarrassing. Oh, it's horrible. No, man. No. I have taken – okay, so in the morning, a little segue. We're going to stop for a second here, uh, folks. Um, I'll drop my wife off at the uh, train in the morning. And either, I mean, I'll go to the gym or something like that, whatever. And I'll be sitting in the parking lot. And I say, okay, I feel like I'll put a post up. It's 7.15. I get out to go into the gym. It is 8.30. Wow. Yes, I've sat there and I've, I've posted. No, I don't. No, that doesn't make sense to me. Or, hey, I'm not really feeling this. You know, it doesn't feel genuine. And it's not that you know? long. No, it's, it's, it's not like, long. No. It, it's really tough. It makes you anxious for some reason. And it's it's not even that big of a deal because it's a small post. People are going to either read it or scroll past it. But 
as a writer, you're looking at it and you're like, this is terrible. It I need to fix this. You. Exactly. It's, I cannot speak with authority on writing if I am not a good writer. Therefore, everything I write has to be good or else I'm a terrible writer. And, and let's help out. Let's help our friends out there right now. Those who are saying, who are, they're, they're confusing lose and loose. Okay? <laughs> We're here to help you right now. L-O-S-E, right? To lose something, right? It's no longer with you. Loose, L-O-S-E, right? It's, 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 it's loosening, right? It's um, uh, unbinding, right? These are the kind of things that go on in my head. You know, why, why do you, friends don't let friends do that kind of stuff. I do have one pet peeve, though. What's well, that? Among other slang pet peeves. Sure. I hate, hate, hate when somebody posts something and it says could of instead of could have. Could of? Because when we speak Americans, we no, don't no, 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 say no. could have. We say I could have done this. So there are people who post. No, hey, stop that. Stop that. <laughs> and I just look at it and I'm like. Could of. Why? I could of. Yes. O-F. Yes. Mm, mm, mm. And it's it's really sad how often I've seen it because that just shows you how our school system has failed us because and how could few of... friends that person has yeah. how few real friends right friends don't let friends do no. that kind of stuff friends, just like friends don't let friends go out in clothes that make them look awful friends do not let friends pose things that yeah. you know could of is not a phrase please do not use it yeah. <laughs> it's could yeah. have okay so we're gonna you know what we're we're gonna do? We're gonna take a we're gonna take a short break. We want we want to let that marinate with you folks, all right? Because you know you have that friend, and if you don't have that friend, you're probably that friend. Uh, check your post, okay? Check your post. Uh, this is Radio Slam. Our studio guest is Hen Salah. We'll be back in just a minute. The nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. The Syrian Community Network with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago-area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Hey America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. 
That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. I knew I was stuck at this kid's house for the night, but those guys snuck up on me to try and pull the hand in a bowl of warm water trick. Well, that was enough for me. I went downstairs to sleep in the basement, even though it was pitch black. I left my sleeping bag upstairs, and that was a mistake, because it was freezing. I think it was probably the longest night of my life. To read more about the sleepover, check out Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Last Straw, by Jeff Kenny. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library, and visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCEV1450.com. Remember, folks, you can keep up with us on social media and also subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast, all at the same username, and that is at Radio Islam USA, at Radio Islam USA. And if you should decide to call in uh, throughout this last half of the conversation tonight with Hensalah, um, a wonderful horror writer, right? I've just started reading it, right? I'm going to finish this book. Um, but you can give us a call at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. Okay, so we've got to ask the important question here. Um, who was your favorite character in the book? That is a good question. So <laughs> I don't have one. Ah. Okay. I I look at all my characters as flawed people. And I think that a lot of them have redeeming qualities and terrible qualities, and then some of them have no redeeming qualities whatsoever. And, I mean, you could say that Jezebel is the most important character to me because so much work went into creating her. And maybe... If, if I had to pick a favorite character, I would use her. Not necessarily because I like her, but because there's so much depth to her. Okay. Um, I don't like one-dimensional characters. Yeah. And so she is not a one-dimensional character. There's a lot. People are like layers, are like onions, and she has layers. Yes. Um, they are stinky and will make you cry. Yes. Mm-hmm. People. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say that she is my favorite in that she is more interesting than the other characters okay. or and definitely more controversial mm, okay now did you feel um 
in, in writing this uh, this character in particular, do you feel like she was a she was a statement? She was many things. Um, one of those things I would say is a statement because part of the social commentary that I was talking about is she is what women are expected not to be. Okay. So we're expected to be polite. We're expected to be respectful, kind, soft, sweet. And then when there's a character in a book or a movie that isn't one of those things, she's kind of disliked. And I'm not saying that people dislike Jezebel just because she's not kind and soft. I mean, she does human trafficking. But um, it's, it's interesting if you watch movies or read books throughout history of literature women who are considered good characters are very kind and very soft and very respectful and they don't have any terrible qualities about them because if they had a bad quality then they're the evil queen or like a bad person but when you look on the other side of that the same is not extended to men because you can have a controversial character who's a man who does terrible things but has redeeming qualities so it's okay and you can it's okay to like that person so women have not been afforded the same um, uh, degree of complexity no. that the male characters are, no. are given. And that's why um, if you watch a lot of movies, <clears throat> the more important star in the movie, if there's a star of a man and a woman, it is more important for the, star, for the male star to be a big, important movie star. Whereas the female, it could be a really important star. It could not be as long as she's a good actor. So it... it our, I'm not going to use the word misogyny because it's not necessarily misogyny. It's just patriarchy. Part patriarchy is still existing so fundamentally and in ways that we don't see it, hmm. where we don't really notice that men who and I'll use a very specific example. When you look at um, Harry Potter. And then you have Severus Snape, who's a character who is very controversial because mm -hmm. he does some pretty terrible things. And um, instead of kind of being reminded of all of those terrible things, he has some redeeming qualities. He was in love with Harry's mom. Um, he tried to protect Harry as much as he want, wants, but he was very immersed in the dark arts. We forgive him for that. Mm. Whereas when you look at a character like... Narcissa Malfoy. She saved Harry's life, period. But she's still not looked upon as a maybe she's okay, not so bad character. She doesn't get the same respect or the same um, favoritism that a male character would. Hmm. And that's not to say that the author... It's not the author's job to help the reader decide who's a good character and who's not. That is up to the reader. So you can't say that it was J.K. Rowling who made this quote-unquote mistake where she allows Cyber Snape to be something that Narcissa Malfoy can't be. It's just our perception as readers. But as a writer, uh, you have the ability to either perpetuate um, societal viewpoints that are, that, are that are taken to be the norm, or you have the ability to push back against that. Uh, so in, in the instance that you're, that you, you're, you're presenting, it seems more... Um, like, it just kind of went par for the course. We just kind of go with what has been done as opposed to pushing back. And it's it's hard to have char female characters who push back because, mm -hmm. especially when that character is the main character, um, there's expectations. And even though we are becoming more progressive as a society and things are changing, 
in literature it hasn't changed that much at least not enough um is that is that or is that a do you think that's a response to the demand or the perceived um you know if, if i write in this particular way critics will respond to it negatively before readers get a chance to make up their own mind so i'm just going to stay with the existing uh formula yeah and it takes a lot of i won't take courage but you know I guess less caring, I don't know a word for that specifically, but less caring about what other other people think for you to say, I don't care what the critics are going to say about this, mm-hmm. I'm going to write it the way I want. Right. And I cannot in good faith tell you that I legitimately said I don't care what critics are going to say because I care what critics are going to say. It's just that I refuse to compromise my ideas and my work just because I'm afraid of what a critic is going to say. As a As a woman author... Um, and then once again, you start adding these layers, right? Because we have so many different boxes that we fit in. It's just this huge Venn diagram. Um, do you feel a responsibility, or is do you feel a responsibility to kind of shift the, the the public, the reader's perception, uh, to open their uh, maybe maybe if if it's not articulated, you know, just directly, but just as a part of the the way you present your characters, that. Uh, that's the responsibility you have to kind of open up the, the reader's um, thought process and their viewpoint. I do. I feel like I do have that responsibility, but it is not as effective coming from a woman as it is coming from a man. And I'm going to agree with that 100%. It is not as effective yeah, yeah, for me to write a strong fem- female character as it is for a male writer to write a str- strong female character. And it's not about misogyny. It's not about patriarchy. It's about people listen less when you're talking about your own group. Yes. Just like if I write a book about a Muslim character and the Muslim character is a good person, no one is going to care. Right. Because, of course, I'm going to write a character who is Muslim who is a good person. I mean, if I didn't, that would be the controversial part. That wouldn't make sense. It would not be controversial for me as a Muslim writer to write a good Muslim character. It's only effective when it comes from someone who isn't Muslim. Uh, and I'll add this to it. Um, it definitely carries more weight with those that fit in that in that box, right? So for men to hear other men talking uh, in a particular way, that's definitely going to resonate with them in a different way. Um, but the power of, of, of people writing to their own identity and their own concerns is that they're not alone, that they represent other folks so what they write or what they say uh, is going to be appreciated by others like them it may not necessarily have the same impact outside of their group uh, but it but it's not in vain either but but I, I totally get what you're what you're saying and there's a lot that's that's definitely a, um, a on point observation and I think it's the res- the responsibility of all of us who are writing or making movies or creating art of any kind. It is our responsibility to be open to other groups and not. The problem is that we so often worry about our own group, especially if it's marginalized. Sure. Like, and it's not wrong. It's not a bad thing. It's just not very helpful. I right. mean, if we're worried about our own group all of the time and we don't step out of the box and say, "Well, I also care." So I am. Originally, my family came from Egypt, so we're Arabs. Mm -hmm. If I can't step out of the box and say, I also care about black people, Mm -hmm. what am I doing? And then, as a woman, I also care about men. If I don't do that, what am I doing? 
And it, it just goes for every single group, especially if you're marginalized. You can't just think about your own people. You have to think about other people because being marginalized in and of itself is publicity. We already have publicity. Maybe it's bad publicity, but it's publicity. <laughs> and, and I think the biggest problem that we have right now is that these marginalized groups are angry at each other. And, like, I'll use specific examples within the Muslim world. Yeah. People of different sects treat each other horribly in the Muslim world. If you're talking about, let's even use the bigger ones. The bigger divide is the Sunnah and the Shia. Right. They treat each other so horribly. And even within those sects, you have the Sufis and you have the Salafis and you have, it's, they treat each other so badly and it doesn't give us room to fight the people who hate us as a group. That's why the Ummah is so like, messed up right now is because yeah. we are so busy hating each other that we are giving people who are outside of this group so much power over us. Yeah, the sectarian divide, ideological, um, just polarization, uh, which, does, which does not serve, uh, it doesn't serve any productive uh, purpose. And it's all. funny because... We see each other as different. They see us as the same. Absolutely. Like, I'm gonna put that on a shirt. <laughs> we, it's true. Really? Like, we see each other as different, but they see us as the same. Me and another person, a uh, per, uh, Muslim person. Uh, I can't speak today. <laughs> okay, another, <laughs> <all right. laughs> another uh, Muslim person. Um, me and another woman. Yeah. I don't subscribe to any denomination but say it's another person who's sufi we are both wearing hijab Mm -hmm. is a person who's not muslim gonna see the difference between us not at all but me and her see a difference between us don't we Mm -hmm. and it's just that's what's causing the demise that's what's causing problems is that we can't stand together well you know and and that is interesting because i was having a conversation uh, in a similar vein earlier the idea is that we are inward facing instead of outward facing uh and when you're inward facing, all you see is, you know, you, you are in, you are enthralled with your own uh, self or frustrated, right? Um, but the outward facing, that's really supposed, that's the disposition that we're supposed to have, uh, because that's what allows us to engage with, uh, you know, whatever social, uh, whatever social context we find ourselves in, um, and to do it in a way where we have some type of, of dignity and, and agency and are able to have an impact on, on how we are perceived and, you know, all that good stuff. So, yeah, I, it, it's, it's, it's a simple, it's a simple um, observation, a difficult realignment, though. Um, but speaking of marginalized pop uh, uh, groups, do you feel or is there kind of a, a hidden nod toward that? Because I'm thinking about it in terms of the uh, of human trafficking. Uh, is it was that was that an intentional um, placement or is that something that it just kind of came up as a part of the story because I think about them as being marginalized these are for the large part we see people who are victims of human trafficking on a daily basis and don't know it uh, so they're kind of they're kind of invisible in a lot of ways and it's 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 also very interesting um we, as a world, mm-hmm. as a universe, often we see human trafficking as a fairy tale. Yeah. Something that happens in movies, it's not real. Um, it doesn't really happen. And yes, in the book, 
it's human trafficking and the the people who are trafficking or tra- traffic who are part of the trafficking yeah. <laughs> um they what happens to them in the book is that they're quote unquote eaten by a monster and the reason wow. so yeah in the book they're eaten by an army of monsters the reason that it is monsters it's a representation where i mean what we don't understand is that monsters don't have to be literal monsters there are human monsters everywhere Mm -hmm. and types of monsters that we don't even believe are monsters we don't believe are doing anything horrible um because outwardly they seem okay um and that was also for me to avoid writing anything like i don't like to write anything sexual and i don't like to so even though that's a really big part of what happens in human trafficking it's not something I like to write about, so that was the representation where I used a monster instead of describing something of that nature. Right, right. Mm, the monster. There's there there are quite a few different uh, ways one could interpret that. You know, uh, systems of normalized uh, oppression. Um, uh, yeah, that that devour you know people communities. You know, I, I'm I, I'm I'm want to. Um, I guess look at it from a, a social and a, and a social justice lens. Um, so let me ask this, all right? Because I'm gonna chew on that a little bit more. Um, <laughs> so you said uh, Jezebel was not necessarily your favorite, even though she is the most. Uh, you said you, you said she's the most complex mm-hmm. of the characters. Um, what was it like the process for developing those supporting characters? Uh, did that come to you uh, at the outset? Did you have an idea as to? Uh, was it the theme of the story or did you when you first conceived of it was it like you saw the whole thing and you just kind of had to let it write itself or just fill in the um the the blanks so i will say this the book used to be a completely different book oh really okay um before i started writing it i had a picture in my head this is what's going to happen but the thing is and you're a writer i'm sure that you understand this as you're writing something the things that you originally were going to write start to not make sense in the story. So yeah. it begins to change and change and change and change. And writing the other characters was actually pretty fun because since she was so controversial, I could do whatever I wanted with the others. <laughs> um, and I will say that none of the characters, the main characters or the main cast, are one-dimensional characters. They all have pasts that are interesting that you want to hear about. Like you have, um, and they're of different cultures so her quote-unquote army is of different ethnicities you have arabs and you have um koreans and you have brazilians um and then you have african-americans or black people or however you want to and the way each of those types of people have a different job where like the arabs are the people who are kind of brute quote-unquote brute strength and then the koreans are the people who are smart and then the brazilians are the beautiful people who distract people with their looks and then you have the african-americans who get set up to take the fall when you're about to get caught wow wow talk about your social commentary very interesting (laughs) and that's the reality that we don't want to acknowledge is that we are put into those groups yeah these are the groups that we're put into people of this heritage are associated with this and it's not on often it's not on purpose but isn't that worse <laughs> that if it's not on purpose um well you know what the design in this thing we find ourselves where we are not of our own doing 
right? Not of our own making. But once we realize where we are, we're not necessarily responsible for for how we got here, but we're accountable for where we go. Uh, so yeah, it's not it's, it's not a um, f- for me. It's not so much a matter of of it being intentional. It was intentional at some point, the way this would work, right? And that is definitely by design. Our social structure and interactions. Uh, they follow a, a pattern, and not just here, but around the world. They follow a pattern. Uh, so, um, I think those are some really, really interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting representations. I'll tell you a funny story though. Back when I was a bio major, yeah. I was taking Chem two, mm-hmm. and this is this will show you the preconceived notions that I have in my head that I don't realize that I have. Okay. Um, so I sat behind an Asian kid, mm-hmm. and I was late, so he got his paper first. This kid gets his pa- gets his exam, turns to the first page and goes, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. I knew I failed that exam. At that exact moment, when that Asian kid said, yeah. oh, crap, after he looked at his paper, I was like, it's over. And I did fail that exam. <laughs> Not that I didn't fail it. But it's interesting <clears throat> because in my head I have that association where the Asian kid's smart. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair. And you can say that that's a positive stereotype, but there's no such thing as a positive stereotype. No, you know what? I think, first of all, I think that's a wonderful thing to hear in this regard. Um, one of the biggest challenges we have in, in having constructive dialogue and, and forming uh, relationships and, and having allies and speaking beyond just our own personal viewpoints uh, and being able to see others is to first recognize and come to grips with the biases that we have. Uh, and those biases are socially constructed uh, and kind of thrust upon us. Uh, and, and to your point, the idea of uh, of Asians as the model minority, you know that that most most Asians that I have spoken to are not appreciative of that because th- that in itself there is a um, it's uh, it's a it's a tight small box that you are put into, uh, and it doesn't leave room for for any other expression. It's pretty much like you said, uh, growing up in your family, it was either we're gonna, you're going to be a doctor. Um, you know, maybe an engineer, you know, a pharmacist. Well, you know, there's a lot. There's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a big world out here. And our own stereotypes, our own boxes that we put ourselves in, or sometimes even smaller than ones other folks will put us in. So, But I'll tell you something, that my mom was a journalist. Back when she was in Egypt, my mom was an on-air journalist. She had her own TV show. Get out of here. Yeah, and yet when I went to college... <laughs> She didn't want you to be a journalist. She did not want me to be a journalist originally. Now she's proud. And she's like, I'm proud of your journey and everything. But yeah. at the time, that is the thing. You 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 hit the nail on the head where we put ourselves in boxes mm-hmm. and then expect other people not to put us on, in those boxes. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because you also, that bears the question of, is it possible, possible to be racist against your own people? Sure. It is. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. is 100% Chris Rock, possible. Chris Rock did a wonderful segment on that. Um it's not AM friendly, so I can't. I'm not even going to try to uh, put it out there, but yeah. But it's, it's mindset, you know. Yeah. And and it's not a good thing. No. no. But it, it goes back to also insults, to jokes that you can make about your own people that other people can't make about you. Sure. And it's, it's all about pre- preconceived notions, and that's what affects our society so much is how we think about things without realizing that that's how we think about them. Because... All of us are a little bit racist. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a little bit racist. Oh, Maybe not in a bad racist. way. What I, I don't mean like prejudiced, but yeah. we all have a preconceived notion of one race or other. That's fair. 
Like that is fair. And you yes. may not yes, think of it fair. directly, and you may not think, yes, I have a pre- preconceived notion of this certain population of people. Mm-hmm. But we do sometimes about our own people. Like me, I have some preconceived notions and thoughts and stereotypes about Arabs. But are they are they rooted in experience? Sometimes it is. Now, see, it's different. It's different when um, it's like all snakes aren't poisonous, right? But if you get bit by one, well, you don't, you, you don't necessarily want to find out if the next one that comes up is not poisonous. So sometimes it is our experience, but it's also recognizing that our experience is not representative of the, the, the totality of, of any group. Right, um, and that's that's not that's not an easy, uh, you know. That's kind of a hard hard road to cross. Yeah, guys. Um, Hint, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Well, I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Um, if you would let the Radio Slam family know where they can uh, they can get your book, if you're on social media or anything like that, folks want to get in touch with you. If you could do that, you got a minute to do so. So um, I have, like you mentioned before, I have my personal website, insert professional website title here dot com, which incidentally started out as a joke for my multimedia journalism class. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, and my Twitter handle, my Facebook page, and my Instagram are all. Hind H. Salah, H-E-N-D-H-S-A-L-A-H. Um, and then my book can be ordered from the Barnes & Noble website, or you can ask for it in the Barnes & Noble store, and they'll ship it to you, or it's on Amazon. And, and we'll put the link up on our on our page as well. Very much appreciated. All right. All right, uh, Radio Sound family, we have come to the close of another show. We go- hope you guys have a great weekend. Uh, we want to thank our engineer over at WCEV, Leonard. Thank you very much, sir. We thank our engineer and producer for tonight's show, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host, Tariq el Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and are to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. All right, family, that's it. Subscribe to the podcast. Have a great weekend. Don't hurt anybody. Love someone. Give a hug. A smile. Something good. I want to leave you now as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.